Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel today. Uh, relating to the fall back, we saved an hour, you know, gained an hour. If you were here for the 1130 service, it worked out for you, because you're, but you're actually at the 10 o'clock service, just FYI. Time change. Beth thinks we ought to fall back every week just for the extra rest. What do you think? That could work, maybe. Yeah. So glad to see you today and those... Checking us out online, we're glad you're here as well. We have some of our friends visiting this weekend. I want to just uh, introduce them to you and remind you of their great ministry. Roberto and Perry Pardo are here. They serve in Ecuador. Uh, Roberto actually grew up in Cuba, and, and he and Perry have been doing amazing work in Ecuador, and that's expanded into Colombia and Mexico and Cuba as well. And in the last... In the last several months, from January to August, now watch this, apparently the COVID crisis in Ecuador and that part of the world where there's a great deal of poverty has caused uh, great distress. And one of the strategies the Pardos use is to have special events where, where food distribution is done, meals are served, and then Ricardo preaches the gospel and wins people to Jesus. And it's an amazing thing. And under these conditions of COVID, people have become more desperate. And so their, their food distribution has had to be been supervised by local police because of the, the press of people and the, and the desperation that occurs there. But from January to August, listen to these numbers. In Ecuador, in the barrios of Ecuador, in Colombia, and also Mexico, the Pardos have recorded... Get ready to applaud now. They've recorded, best they can count, about 4,000 decisions for Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Yeah, it's remarkable. Apparently, people are responsive to the gospel in that part of the world. And, and, they've, been, and they've baptized 1,700 people in those months. Isn't that, isn't that phenomenal? They, they have a portable baptistry uh, in the back of a pickup truck. And they just drive it from barrio to barrio and put water in it and baptize people in the back of the truck. I just think that's fantastic. So um, we're thrilled that they're here. And when you leave today after the service, I hope you'll stop and say hello to them. They'll be right down here. Why don't you stand up so everybody can see us? A lot of people haven't met you yet. And uh, Ricardo is an unbelievable evangelist. 
He is, he is on fire. Uh, I'd let him preach, but you couldn't understand him. It was just uh, every third word, maybe. And so, <laughs> but, he, but you would be impressed with the enthusiasm. <laughs> and Perry's the interpreter and, and keeps, keeps everything organized. We're thrilled to have him with us. We've been talking about struggles that we are incurring in these days in which we're living. There are plenty to go around. We've tried to connect social media and the effects that social media has on some of these struggles. Today, I want to talk about compassion and maybe the whole idea of resurrecting the idea of compassion in our lives and, again, how that relates to social media. So I've chosen as our text a simple uh, passage from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. This is an encounter that Jesus had with a leper, and again, the subject is about compassion. I hope it's meaningful to you. Our, our, uh, our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. My hunch is that there aren't a lot of us who've had this experience. The Pardos have. I've actually had the experience, but very few of us have, that a, a real, desperate, existentially desperate human being on their knees in front of you begging you. It's quite an experience. And a man with leprosy did that to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Some of the passages say moved with compassion. He was filled with emotion. And he was both feeling for this man's condition and also upset, indignant, with the man for questioning whether Jesus would actually care about him. It was disturbing to Jesus. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. Of course, this is against all the rules. You don't get close to a leper, let alone touch one. He touched the man. I, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Amen. So God instruct us, encourage, inspire us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. More and more studies are indicating just how addicted we have become to social media. We talked about this a little bit last week, that our, our brains actually release chemicals uh, that produce pleasure, emotion in us when we are surfing around the net and engaging uh, in texting and Instagram, those sorts of things. And, and so more and more people and the science is indicating an addictive behavior. Now today I want to talk about resurrecting compassion, as I mentioned, and how social media and technology can produce a spirit of compassion and also hinder compassion in our lives. We don't want to throw social media completely uh, under the bus, of course, because it has many uh, values that helps us. We can raise awareness. We can raise resources. We can mobilize a movement. Uh, however, by the very nature of social media, things get really hot and then really cool, cold, really quickly. A few years ago, there was everyone in the world talking about it on social media, about 200 Nigerian schoolgirls that went missing. And that was a hot topic for a, long, for a number of weeks, uh, but then it faded out. And we're not really quite sure where those Nigerian girls are to this day. Same thing with the uh, ALS ice bucket challenge. Remember when that was a big hot, hot thing? Well, it wasn't really hot. It was freezing cold, ice water dumping. How many of you did the, the uh, 
ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Yeah, a few of you people who like to engage in trendy things. Well, it's a good thing because lots of money was raised for Lou Gehrig's disease, and that was great, but it was hot for a while and then very quickly faded away. Consider the downside for just a moment and how it may be impacting us. The University of Michigan did a comprehensive study on 14,000 college students between the years 1979 and 2009. So those, those years, about 30 years, and what they discovered, what they found, was a drastic decline in empathy. Now follow this. The result of this massive study showed that we care about 40% less about other people than we did in the 1980s. 40%. That's very, very interesting, maybe even disturbing. One study also asked people to rank certain statements. For example, I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. You know, rate that on a scale. Or I have often felt tender, concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. Rate that. All of these kinds of sociological behavioral studies indicate a significant drop in people's empathy and their caring about other folks. Very very rarely do you hear someone describe themselves as soft-hearted. Well, I'm just a really soft-hearted person. And compared to many years ago. So 40% drop, according to this study. Now, the question we want to ask today is, why and how could that happen? How's this happening to us? Why is this going on? Here's a few ideas. If you have the outline in front of you, here's the first idea. We're more obsessed with ourselves. That could be a reason. We're more obsessed with ourselves. We have to admit that we're more obsessed, and as a result of that, those of you who are younger particularly, and selfie, the term selfie, which we described last week, has become a part of your vocabulary, and you say, well, yeah, that's just normal. Taking selfies, that's normal. That's routine. Listen to me. That's not normal. Turning a camera on yourself, that's not normal. That's a brand new thing. As I mentioned last week, my generation that wouldn't have crossed our mind to turn a camera on ourselves. It's a, it's a brand new phenomenon. Of course, there's all kinds of categories of selfies. Here's some of them we found online. Just check. These are, these are common ones that are used now. The driving my car selfie. You know, this is the young woman who's about to run into something. The duck face selfie. Apparently, uh, women are are better adapt for some reason to make a ducky face than men. So you see a lot of women doing this, uh, the first profile pic. This is an older guy trying to uh, impress somebody. Of course, it's not working. And so, so there's that. I love my pet. Lots of selfies with pets. Millions of them. They're everywhere. Yeah, all right, and I just woke up selfie. Those are some examples. You have the silly selfie. You have the serious selfies. You got the me and my food selfie. Lots of selfies with food. People like to show off their food for some reason. Or looking good in this outfit, selfie, you know, you got this chic uh, phone case, you know, that you put on display with it, which you, you put, uh, which is not mine, you know, hashtag I borrowed it. And, and so you have all kinds of varieties, very popular. And that's just the beginning. Um, we, we have to admit that as a result of these kinds of technologies and kind of behaviors, that we're becoming massively more obsessed with ourselves. 
80% of what a person does on social media actually relates directly to the user. For example, if I'm going on social media, I'm going to see what I'm interested in, or I'm going to make sure I know what people are saying about me or to me. And as I mentioned, dopamine gets released in our brain when we get encouraged or, or stimulated that way. And so our physical bodies, now having become addicted to some of the processes of social media, shaping us to be more self-centered. Our, our bodies actually literally shaping us to be more, more selfish. So we're more obsessed with ourselves. There is a second thing. Overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. You know, you can see a hungry child, you know, a little Ethiopian baby with a distended belly and flies buzzing around the head. And you see that enough times and you, and you stop being careful about that. Also, experts are saying that because we see everything on a timeline, well, we might get online, we see a post or, or then a news story and then there's another link and then another post and we see these things in kind of chronological order or you just go on a news service of some kind and you see this lineup of things and you, and you might see, for example, a recipe for guacamole followed by another football player who's beat up his girlfriend to uh, another funny video of a cat uh, to here's a dead body laying in the streets of France where a teacher's just been murdered by some radical Islamist. And literally, our brain doesn't do well distinguishing between the guacamole and the murder. When you see enough images, enough stimulation in, an, in enough repeated way, and therefore we start to care less. Here's a third thing that may contribute. A lack of personal interaction makes it, easy, makes it easier not to care. If someone reports on Facebook, I lost my job, you may respond to that by saying, oh, sorry, be praying for you. But if you're sitting in the room with that friend who says to you, I lost my job, and you see how desperate they look on their face and that they've had to report to their daughter, sorry, honey, you can't take dance class anymore because we can't afford that. I lost my job or... or you know, grandma's in the nursing home and we'll have to decide next month whether we're going to pay for her nursing home or for our mortgage. And maybe we'll have to lose our house. We just don't know what's going on. Now, suddenly, if you're in a room with someone with a story like that, you're moved to a very deep place in your heart. And I want to care deeply for you in a way that I can't care for you from a distance. And so this lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. Let me just add this thought too. It's the fourth thing on the outline. True compassion demands action. True compassion demands action. The Greek word that's translated as compassion in the New Testament, the original language of Koine Greek, is a multisyllable word, but it means to be moved to action. That's translated compassion. So compassion is an action. In fact, would you say that? Compassion is an action. Say it out loud with me. Compassion is an action. One more time. Compassion is an action. True compassion demands action. Now, here's a fifth thing I, I want to say about this. To say you care but not act is not to care at all. You okay with that? To say you care but not act is to not care at all. What happens? Well, we see something on Instagram, we see something on Facebook, we say, well, okay, click, 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 click. We're going, we're going through a hard time. So what do you do on Facebook? You like it. 
We're really, we, you know, we're going through a really difficult adult season in our in our family. You go click. I like that. Really. Let me just remind you: clicking is not caring. Clicking is not caring. I f- I felt something. Clicking is not caring. Acting is caring. Caring is not clicking on something. It's actually being involved to make a difference. Caring is not like a post. It's loving a person. That's what it is. It's being moved from the depths of your soul to get out of yourself, to get involved in the life of someone else. That's caring. Every time you see the word compassion, the phrase moved with compassion in the Gospels, when it relates to Jesus, watch this now. Every time you see Jesus moved with compassion, he always followed it up by a corresponding action. Anytime in the Gospels you see Jesus moved by compassion, you see a corresponding action. Jesus felt something and then he did something. Let me give you a few examples. In Mark chapter 1, our text today, a man with leprosy, he's knelt in front of Jesus begging him, if you care about me, you would make me clean. And Jesus said, I do care about you. Put his hand right on him. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So he was moved by compassion and then he took action. Mark, Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He didn't come into this region, see a bunch of sick people waiting for him, trying to be healed. Jesus didn't just walk up and say, oh boy, I'm sure sad, sad for you guys and you, you look really sick, that's bad. Listen, I'll be thinking about you. I'll be praying for you. Count on me, I'll pray for you. That's not what he did. Jumps in the middle of that need and does something. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. Let me put this, let me put this statement on the screen because this is really the central focus of this whole message. Hey, everybody, come back to me. This is the point I'm trying to make in this message. The more I obsess over social media, more I care about me, the less I care about people. And the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about me, the more I care about people. You agree with that? You think that's true? Are you sure? Got to be careful with the truth. There's a phrase in our world that you hear bantered about occasionally, it's, it's, and it goes like this, symbolism over substance. Symbolism over substance. We have lots of people who are really good at talking about stuff. Talking about problems, talking about needs, talking about justice, talking about problems. And a much, 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 much smaller number of people actually doing something about it. This is especially true in the Christian culture. Years ago, um, Union Chapel got involved in the management of two of the three community centers here in town. Austerity measures had to be taken by city government at the time, and so I stepped forward and, and some my friends and pastoral ministry stepped forward, and we said, we will, we will manage those two community centers in, in neighborhoods that really ma- made a difference in the lives of people. And it was just important that they stayed open. And so for over 10 years... 
Union Chapel, your support, your volunteerism, your generosity made it possible for those community centers to stay open. We partnered with other agencies and individuals and churches in the community to make that happen. I chaired the board for over a decade there, and we kept those, those services going. And that was the right thing to do. I, I discovered something. This was part of my learning curve in those years. What I discovered is that there are a lot of Christian people who talk about helping and never help. Because I went door to door. I knocked, on, I knocked on churches' doors. Hi, I, I know you're Christians. It's a Christian church. Maybe you want to help the most needy people in our community. That's a great idea. Really glad you're doing that. That's very impressive. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Uh, but we can't help. Part of, part of my... Uh, Spiritual gift mix, you know, we all have spiritual gifts. We have natural talents and abilities, and God also gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, that enable us to do things even above that. And I have a, a list of gifts, gifts from God as well. And one of, one of my gifts is actually prophet. And that doesn't blend well with pastor. Because, a pro, see, a prophet, a prophet uh, isn't very popular because of the provocative nature of this giftedness. It challenges people and confronts, and, it's, and sometimes it's harsh, it's, it's painful, it's prophetic, that's the term. And I, ha- and I have to suppress that gift most of the time. Otherwise, I, see, I, I actually have a, a God-given ability to offend people. The reason I know that is true because no one could possibly be in as much trouble as I am all the time unless I had divine help getting me into that trouble. And so I know, I, ha- I know it's in there. So I have to watch it all the time. Just like in this message right now, I could, ju- I could jump into prophet and you guys would w- w- come, <laughs> come out of the room <laughs> dragging a leg, <laughs> blood running off your head. <laughs> and that wouldn't be <laughs> pastoral. So I have to watch it. But one of the, uh, pa- my pastor friends in the pastoral fraternity back in the day during this community center season, I noticed over four or five years that Anytime there was a need for people to sit on a platform during a special celebration where Christian leaders would sit on the platform, he always showed up for that. And when it was time for a news conference and the newspaper was there to take a quote or two, you know, about what was going on, he always was there with a statement. When it came time to actually go down to the place and put their hands on the work and help some people, he was never there. When it came time to pay the bills, AWOL, nowhere to be seen. And let me just tell you that I am not fully formed. I do not wear what would Jesus do bracelet because I'm not altogether like Jesus all the time. I admit that. The paint is still wet on me. And it was really wet the day that I had about 20 minutes alone with him. When I found myself before a meeting alone with him unexpectedly, just casually that day. And so I asked him why he always showed up when there was a special meeting and always showed up when the press was there and you never show up any other time. And I allowed my prophetic gift to come full, full force because it annoys me. C.S. Lewis, my my old friend C.S. Lewis, my favorite Christian author said it this way, when all is said and done in Christianity, there will have been more said than done. True compassion 
demands action. It doesn't, it doesn't just invite it. It doesn't just suggest it. It doesn't just say, gosh, that's a good idea. True compassion demands it. To say you care but not act is to not care at all. And it's tragic now to live in a society that could care 40% less about people, and that's unacceptable. It's tragic. So here's the bottom line for me. I'll just be as real and honest with you as I can. The more I obsess over social media, do you like my picture? Do you like my duck face selfie? The more I obsess over social media, the more I care about me and the less I care about other people. But the more I obsess about Jesus, the more I want to know him, the more I want to serve him, the more I want to be close to him and like him, the, the less I care about me and the more I start suddenly, amazingly, start caring about other people. The more I get close to Jesus, the less I care about myself and strangely, the more I care about others. So that a person who actually gets close to Jesus and becomes more like Jesus is a person who will actually deny themselves, crucify themselves, take up their cross, follow Jesus, and care for the people around them. This is, this is the upside-down kingdom. The world says, make yourself happy, fulfill every wish, respond to every impulse, and if you do that, you'll be happy. The kingdom of God says, if you'll die to yourself... If you will become less and less and allow Jesus to become more and more, that is life. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it springs up and bears fruit. Let me just let you in on a kingdom principle. This is the secret of the world. The happiest people in the world, most satisfied, most fulfilled, the happiest, most grateful people in the world are people who are close to Jesus serving other people. That's, not, that, that's a mystery to the world, but it's not in question. It is absolutely true, absolutely true. So what I want you to think about, really think about is this. When is the last time you've given like a whole day or even a weekend to serve somebody else? When, when is the last time you went significantly out of your way to give financially? Not just to give what was expected of you, but something that really cost you and really made a difference in someone else's life. Now, a lot of you, I know because I know you, I'm your pastor, would say that you've done that recently. I mean, my wife Beth heard this sermon in the first, in the first service, and between services, she was saying to me, you know, that was a good sermon. That really challenged me, and I was thinking about what you asked us. And she said, and then she listed three different things she did yesterday to serve other people. And I said, honey, you're not normal. <laughs> a lot of you would say, look, I've done, I've done acts of kindness, service to other people recently. And, and I know you have because I know the way you give and the way you volunteer and the way you serve. Praise God for it and for others. But if that's not the case for you, then it's probably an indication that you're not very close to Jesus. Just a little while ago, I said, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll want to help others. And 
the further away from Jesus and the more, more interested you are in yourself, the less you will care about others. And I ask you if you believe that and you all just went, yeah. Now I'm telling you that if you don't actually care in tangible, practical ways, meeting the needs of other people, it probably means you're not very close to Jesus. Now don't look at me like you don't believe it. So because when you're really close to Jesus, life's not about you. It's about glorifying him and loving others. Compassion demands action. Let me give you two final thoughts. Here's what I know about compassion. I've experienced this personally. <laughs> compassion interrupts. It can be a real nuisance. It can interrupt stuff. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and the disciples, they've been out ministering. They're dog-tired. They need a break. Jesus actually says in Mark 6, here's my advice. Go away to a lonely place by yourself and rest a while. And you hear that and you go, that's exactly what I need. <laughs> that's perfect. And as, as it turns out, taking a nap, for example, is sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. Amen. And some of you practice that every week while I'm preaching. And so it's <laughs> understandable. Jesus mandated it. But in this case, in Mark chapter 6, he's telling the disciples, let's chill for a while. Let's just let's take some time away and let's rest. They all went, oh, thank goodness. And suddenly then a crowd comes up. And they're all begging. They're all needy. And the disciples have had it. I mean, they're done. They're toast. And, and they look at Jesus and they see Jesus notice this crowd of people coming. And then they watch his body language. Watch his countenance. Start to change. They go, Dang it. He's going to go help those people. Unbelievable. <laughs> and it's an interruption. In Luke chapter 8, he's on the way to, to heal a dying girl. Parents said, please, my daughter's dying. Would you come and pray for her healer? He said, I will. And so he's on his way to this village. And on his way, he's passing through another village. And the crowd finds out he's coming. And the crowd is overwhelming him. At a certain point in the public ministry of Jesus, the disciples weren't just learners. They were bodyguards. They were secret service. I mean, imagine the crowd. The, uh, see the uh, national championship game of the NCAA football. And you see the, the, final, the final buzzer, and there's a new champion, a Division I NCAA college football team. Now watch the coach of that team moving across the field. Now the stands are starting to empty out with all these people crushing in on the field, players from both teams, staff from both teams. There's thousands of people just pressing into the center of action. Can you see those two or three great big state troopers, you know, who've been assigned to guard the guy? And, and so they're trying to move this person through this mass of humanity. See that image. You can see Peter, you know, he's, he was a big, strong guy. You can see him just next to Jesus trying to keep the crowd back. And people are just desperate to touch him, to reach for him, and they're calling out for him. And there's this crush of humanity just pushing on him. And they're moving through this village trying to get to this, to this appointment. And there's a woman in the crowd there, and she's been suffering for 12 years. She has an issue of blood. She has her menstrual cycle has been disrupted by some condition and she is, she is getting weaker and weaker. She's spent all of her money. She's seen all the doctors. No one can help her. And she's, she's desperate at the end of her life. And so she is 
out in the middle of this crowd. She shouldn't be according to the law. She's in an unclean state physically. She shouldn't be exposed to other people. And now she is on all fours crawling through this crowd. And Jesus is moving this way. And you can see her getting stomped on and kicked and, and, and just battered. And she's in her last ounces of energy. And Jesus walks by her and she just reaches out as far as she can. And just with the tip of her finger, just grazes the bottom of his robe, just that much, just so she could feel it, and that's it. Suddenly, Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? And Peter's going, what, are you, what's, what the heck is the matter with you? Everybody's touching you. Let's go. Don't stop. Keep moving. We, we won't survive if we don't keep moving. And the apostles or disciples are saying, let's go, let's keep going. And Jesus stops the whole thing. No, he said, somebody touched me. He said, I felt virtue go out of me. He said, he felt power emanate from him. Somebody touched me. Who touched me? <laughs> now they grab this woman. Did you, was it you? Now she's in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people according to social custom, culture. But she happens to be in the right place at the right time, touching the right guy in the right moment. He says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. And she was healed from that day. Isn't that a powerful story? Isn't it great? But you see, miracles happen when you're willing to accept an interruption. How many times have we missed miracles because we were too busy? We got places to go, people to, to see, things to do. I don't have time. I don't have time to, right now to stop. I don't have time to deal with this right now. I can't afford the interruption. But, but listen to your pastor. Oftentimes, God works through divine interruptions. Do you hear this? Happens all the time. We often miss because we're too busy. Now, this week, somebody's going to, you're, going to, you're going to call somebody because God put it on your heart to call them. Or you're going to go visit them. Or you're going to drive by someone and they've got a flat tire. And you've changed the flat tire a hundred times. And you could change that, that tire in, in five minutes. And you realize the person who's, who's stranded there, they're going to be there for a while. And so even though you've got an appointment, you've got places to go, you're going to pull over and help them. Because compassion interrupts. It sure does. Or you may be in a small group and there's a person in your small group and blah, 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 blah. They're the ones always talking, always interrupting. Blah, 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 blah. And you have to listen to them because this is a rule. This is a principle of life that every small group in the world has a person in it like that. And you may say, well, I beg to differ. Our small group has no people like that. Hashtag you might be the one. Because it's a rule. Every small group has one. You might be it. And you let the Holy Spirit interrupt you. Because God often works through divine interruptions. Compassion interrupts. Now here's the second thing. Compassion also costs. Jesus told a compelling story about a good Samaritan guy. This good Samaritan guy, uh, he comes down the road and he sees a Jewish guy who's been beat up. He's bleeding on a road. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. Different ethnicity, different culture, racial bias. 
One guy, you know, Jewish privilege. Here comes a Samaritan guy. And the Samaritan stops. And he cleans up the guy's wounds, the Jewish guy's wounds. And puts him on his donkey and takes him into a place where he can get a bed to recover. Pays the guy two days worth. He said, I'm going to come back in a few more days. If there's any more expense, I'll pay for it then. I mean, just, it cost him. Cost him time, cost him money, cost him effort. But too often in our culture, we want to be engaged in drive-by compassion. We want to do what's easy for us, not inconvenient. Oh, I'll click on that. Or I'll retweet that. Or I'll like that. Or I'll favorite it. Or I'll share that link. I shared the link. Maybe somebody can do some good. And that's the thing. Look Look at this statement on the screen. I just want to drive it home if I can. Clicking is clean. Compassion is messy. Clicking is clean. Compassion is messy. So some of you, listen, some of you, you're going to mentor an inner city kid. You're going to volunteer to help with our children's ministry or with 456 or with our 18, our youth ministry. You're going to do that. And after a few weeks, you're going to befriend a little 15-year-old girl and you're going to find out she's cutting. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be messy. Because that's the way it is. It's costly. And it's messy. It costs. And it interrupts. And here's the last thing I want to say about it. It also changes lives. (laughs) Compassion interrupts. It costs. And then it changes lives. Everywhere Jesus went... When he's moved with compassion, he changed lives. So compassion in action changes lives of those who receive and also changes the lives of those who give. Everybody wins when we exercise and practice compassion. Now let's take a few moments this morning and just pray about these things because I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Father, I thank you that your spirit is ministering to us today. I thank you in advance for all the lives that will actually be impacted when we are moved with compassion like Jesus into action for your glory, serving other people. Now I'm going to pray a prayer right now. Don't agree with me unless, until you've heard it and you can absorb it into your own life. I'll pray it. You believe it and receive it after you hear it, okay? Because, listen, you can't be praying stuff like this. It's not safe. So if that's fair warning, here's the prayer. God, I give you permission. Interrupt me. If it costs me, that's even more beautiful. Because, God, I want you to use me to care for others to show your love and to change lives. Lord, make us ready to meet a need, to pray for someone, to show compassion. So create in us a hunger to know you more, to be more like Jesus. And when we do, we know that we will die to ourselves and serve you by serving others. Make us compassionate, O God. Now, some of you within the sound of my voice today, you're being challenged to think about God 
You're a seeker. You're searching. Let me tell you about God. He's just. He's righteous. But that's not what draws people to him. It's his kindness that leads people to know him. The Bible says his compassions, they never, ever fail. They fail not. And right now, some of you, you're sensing that God is real, that he loves you. And you want to understand. You want to know him. And let me just remind you, love is not just what God does. Love is who he is. God is love. So there's nothing you can do, good or bad, to make him love you, more or less. And because he's love, he became one of us. Let me describe the gospel. He came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus, who lived without sin, gave his life on a cross, and then on the third day rose again so that anyone who turns to him and calls on his name would be forgiven of everything they've done wrong, included into God's family, transformed in their lives. Someone listening to me right now, I know it's true, you're here today to hear this message, to find this hope, and you know it. You can sense it. Something's going on. His kindness is drawing you to receive his forgiveness. This is your day to call on him, to say, yes, I turn my life over to you. Yes, I turn from all of my sins. Yes, I surrender to Jesus. By faith, I give my life to him. Now, everyone, I want you to pray this prayer. Pray, pray it out loud in support of those around you who need to pray it maybe for the first time. So are you ready? Pray it right after me out loud. Ready? Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life. I believe Jesus died for me. And he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you. Forgive me of all my wrongs so I can serve you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for new life. Today, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?